The Lord be with you. Just so happens that uh, just a week or so ago, I was watching the four-hour-long director's cut of the classic film Lawrence of Arabia. That's apparently Steven Spielberg's favorite movie. Anyone here a big fan of Lawrence of Arabia? Right? It's great. Great. And the director's cut, if you've got the constitution for it, is well worth it. Anyways, there's a lot of scenes in that movie that are out on bleak and beautiful desert vistas. And there's points in that film where the whole plot hangs on whether or not the thirsty travelers are going to find the next well of precious water. And there's one scene early in the film where the British officer and his Bedouin guide, Taphus, make their way to a well in a desolate place. But just as they arrive, over the horizon comes a lone traveler. And with little warning, the man pulls out his gun and shoots Taphus, killing him. Because, of course, these men were blood enemies. And Taphus had dared to take water from this family's well without permission. It's that moment in the film that assures us viewers just what a complicated and violent mess of tension Lawrence is getting himself into. Last week we were in John chapter 3, and Nicodemus was assured that God loves the entire world. In today's passage, Jesus has left the holy city, and he's setting back home for Galilee, The gospel text tells us, not in the translation we read today, but in the NRSV, that he had to go through Samaria. But it's not geography or logistics that forced Jesus to go to Samaria. There was a detour on a road that he could have taken. But he didn't. Jesus had to go through Samaria because the Son of Man was on the move again and filled with purpose. Jesus went out of his way to meet the woman at the well. You may remember reading that Nicodemus chapter last week, and now putting it alongside the story of the woman at the well, that this story is its companion. Two conversations with Jesus and two very different people. And when you set these side by side, you can't help but notice the points of contrast. And the differences couldn't be more stark. Jesus leaves the company of a prominent and influential man. And he goes and spends time with a socially disadvantaged, vulnerable woman in the countryside. We learn Nicodemus' name, of course, but not so for the woman. Nicodemus sought out a, a private meeting in the night. But the woman happened upon Jesus in the noonday sun in a public place. The scholarly Jewish man asked questions in bewilderment. But this uneducated woman of Samaria, well, she traded some quick remarks with the rabbi, challenging Jesus and pressing in with each revelation. An elite Pharisee walked back home in bewilderment. 
while a woman leaves a well and drops her water jug and runs to find the nearest townspeople, declaring, come and see the man who told me everything I've ever done. As a rule, men like Jesus weren't supposed to talk to women. But the conversation with this woman turns out to be the longest that anyone has with Jesus in all of the Gospels. And it's fascinating. On top of all this, this nameless woman was a Samaritan. This conversation should never have happened because Jewish people and Samaritan people truly hated one another. Why did Samaritans and Jewish people hate each other? Like so many other chapters in history, this is a complicated and tragically familiar sort of story. There was a deep, enduring bitterness that simmered for hundreds of years in the aftermath of the Civil War that had split the Kingdom of Israel in two, north and south. Over the years, both kingdoms would suffer at the hands of great empires in history, but the northern kingdom was destroyed by foreign powers, and a small remnant of people stayed behind in the land And as it happens, they intermarried with the Assyrian settlers. Their descendants would come to be known as Samaritans. Over the years, Samaritans adapted their own religion and built a temple on Mount Gerizim, the mountaintop where they believed the famous story happened where Abraham had prepared to sacrifice his son Isaac. Of course, all of this was a disgrace in Jewish eyes. Samaritans were a living symbol of a sad history that they would rather forget. A time of defeat, religious corruption, betrayal, and shame. These people were worse than even foreign idol worshippers. Here's the thing. Sometime around 128 BCE, a Jewish army marched down and destroyed the Samaritan temple, and they celebrated with a holiday commemorating that event every year. I know a lot of you have traveled to different places in the world, but maybe you can remember a time when you visited a place like this, a place strewn with rubble. Maybe it was a somber monument at the site of a historic battle, an ancient church or a place set aside to remember a crime against humanity. A place where the unthinkable realities still hang in the air. By contrast, of course, the southern Jewish people, they centered their faith around the beautiful and amazing holy city of Jerusalem with an absolutely remarkable second temple on a mountain called Moriah. And that's the site where they believed that Abraham had very nearly sacrificed his son Isaac. Both sides saw themselves as the true people of God. Both sides had their own version and translation of the Bible. Both people considered any contact with the other side to be a violation of everything they believed. Talking to one another? Setting foot on enemy ground, interacting or touching one another in any way was a degradation. 
At this point in the story, Jesus and his disciples would have been around 80 kilometers from Jerusalem, halfway home to Galilee, and he's on foreign soil in Samaria. And the noonday sun beats down, and the disciples are doing a grocery run, leaving Jesus to rest at Jacob's well. And maybe it seemed like the best option, considering where they were, that a weary rabbi might spend a little bit of time and rest a while on the plot of land once owned by one of the great Hebrew forefathers, Jacob. Here's the thing, though. If you look on the map, the site where Jacob's well sits is right near the foot of Mount Gerizim. And if that sounds familiar, yes, Mount Gerizim is that mountain. The mountain littered with the ruins of a Samaritan temple, the place of worship destroyed by Jewish forces. Jesus left Nicodemus in the holy city, the place of the temple, to come and sit next to the rubble of a desecrated Samaritan place of worship. And Jesus, the thirsty human, finds a Samaritan woman at that well and asks her for a drink. What a bizarre moment that would have been for her. A Jewish teacher sitting at her local well in the shadow of the holy mountain and acting as though he wasn't in hostile territory. The audacity of it all. Typical unprepared foreigner didn't even bring his own bucket. Without a vessel to draw water from so deep a well, he'd have to sit there and grow thirsty. This is a man of status, no less. A Jewish man talking to a woman of Samaria, violating all of the rules of propriety and asking to come in such close contact with a person who shares such a bitter history. She said, How is it that you, a Jew, ask of me, a woman of Samaria? And that's when Jesus of Nazareth started to talk like a mystical holy man, leaning in really hard on the metaphor of living water. Not unlike his previous talk, using another metaphor of being born again. If only you knew just who asked you for water. I just asked you for a drink of refreshing local water, but I am the source of all life. But the woman's quick. She claps back with a bit of wit. It sounds like you think you're something really special, don't you? Greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us this well, even. Jesus responds with even more strange language, offering a mysterious source of water that gushes up to eternal life, which sounds Crazy, right? Or it sounds like a great deal if you're buying it. So she calls in the offer. Maybe she's having a laugh, calling the bluff of a prankster. But if he's a real deal, this is a -a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. That's when Jesus moved on from deep theological ideas and abstract themes, and he spoke to the woman's life Zooming in close and sharing his knowledge of her difficult personal history. Amazingly enough, Jesus knew her private life. And we don't really know enough details to understand her story, but Jesus did. 
And the woman's eyes were opened, and she saw him as a prophet, a seer of great truths. And so she asked, If this Jewish rabbi is a prophet, what am I to make of all these years of hatred and bloodshed and theological differences? Is this a holy mountain that I stand next to or not? Do I need to change all of my allegiances? Am I being converted to the other side? But Jesus says something, has something much bigger in mind, a way of worshiping God that reaches past the petty and terrible shared history of their people. A whole new thing. Worship in spirit and truth. Worship that isn't tied to temples or geography, race or ethnicity. This is worship for the whole world. Access to God for the whole human race. The Samaritan woman sees this for what it is. She says, this sounds more like the sort of words of God's great dream for the world. This is the way the chosen one of God would be talking. The Christ, the anointed one. And Jesus blows her mind. Jesus tells her, I am he. The one who is speaking to you. And the woman puts down her water jar, leaves it with Jesus, a parting gesture of gratitude and hospitality, and she runs to share her news with the people. The first Samaritan disciple, proclaimer of wonders. Isn't that just such a Jesus thing to do? To make a prophet's work out of a trip through Samaria? Seeing past everyone else's fears and prejudices and assumptions and hatred. Going out of his way to befriend such an unexpected person. Surprising everyone by choosing a peasant Samaritan woman as his best student in matters of life and spirit and truth. His first messenger of peace in a troubled place. The message of Jesus is God's love for the whole world made a reality one human at a time. Finding us in the particular habits and moments of our days, opening our eyes to a new reality. We are women and men with complicated histories, challenges, embarrassments, and regrets, and Jesus finds people like us. Inviting us to worship in spirit and truth. We, the church, get to be a people gathered together this way. We are loved as we are found. And we are sent to share this with the world. Friends, we are this gathered people. A thirsty people who greet one another at the well of living water. Astonished and grateful, transformed and alive. Sharing a a holy bucket pulled up from the depths. Drinking deeply of grace and mercy. Thanks be to God.